Father God, man, as I hear that song, it's messing me up. <laughs> Lord, because I realize how often the way I live is a reaction to my pain, not to your voice. It's a reaction to my desire instead of your word. And so many times, God, I've had certain voices in my mind, voices of condemnation, voices of worthlessness, voices that seek to drag me down. And I, at times, I've even attributed them to you. But Lord, as we hear this song and as we just reflect on who you are and who we are in you, Lord, we recognize that anytime you speak, it's for our freedom, for our hope, for our deliverance, for our healing. And Lord, I want to learn how to respond to, to that voice, your voice. And I pray, not only for myself, but for your church as a whole, Lord, that we would learn to recognize your voice. That we would learn in the midst of all the noise of this world to weed through it all to discern what it is that you are saying to us. And that our hearts would be a humble, worshipful, loving response to what it is that you've spoken to us. And Lord, as I look out across this area where we live, Boston, New England, Lord, I know that your heart breaks for the darkness that many people live in, for the confusion, God, for, for just those who are searching desperately for someone to value them, for a truth that is true outside of themselves. And Lord, I, I know that you've placed us and so many other churches of, of faithful Christ followers in this region for a reason. That we are meant to be lights in the midst of the darkness. That as you spoke your word to us, that we are to carry the seed of that and spread it. But Lord, show us how. I want to know how. I pray not only for our church, but for the churches across this region. Lord, I pray that the, the, the seed of your gospel would be enough. And that it will begin to grow fruit among us. And that we will see the evidence of your spirit's work among us. That we'll see boldness and love for one another and a, a, a desperation and a dependence on you, our God. That, that a heart of worship would build within us. And that in that, God, that we will respond to your heart of compassion and seek to know, Lord, how can we pray? How can we act? How can we trust you to do what only you can do in this region of the world? Show us how, God. And I know that begins by moving our hearts with what moves yours. And so, Lord, as we take in today, as we eat of your word, may we also show us how to exercise it. That we might live into the identity we have in Christ. We place all of this before you. And open up our hearts to receive the word that you have for us this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you, worship team. And good morning, everybody. Man, welcome. We're so glad you're here. I'm serious. That song messed me up. <laughs> um, it messed me up big time. But uh, we are 
officially, believe it or not, uh, in the first Sunday of the season called Lent. Lent is just a Latin word that means lengthen. It means that the days are starting to get longer, that spring is coming, and that we are, yeah, that we are entering a, uh, a 40-day period um, where we are going to join with, get this, Christians across the globe preparing our hearts and our minds to remember Jesus' death for us and, his, and celebrate his resurrection on Easter morning. And one of the ways that we're choosing as a church together to prepare ourselves for uh, this, whole, in this whole season of Lent is we're going to be digging in and meditating on a book in the New Testament called Colossians. Now, I call it a book, but in reality, it's a letter. It's a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a brand new community, a new church of Christ followers in an ancient city called Colossae. Now, Colossae uh, was in what we know present day as southern Turkey. For us, it may not seem like it's much of anything of significance. It's in the middle of nowhere, but it's amazing what God was doing among them. And to be clear, Paul himself, while he's writing a letter to them, he didn't actually know them. He, from what we can tell, he never visited Colossae. But this community came because when Paul went in his missionary journeys there, somewhere along the way, a man named Epaphras came to Jesus. And then Epaphras, after having the seed of the gospel sown within him, that began to bear fruit in his life. And he took that same seed and then spread it across his region where he lived, including Colossae. So you can imagine how exciting this would have been for Paul. Because this is a second generation church. He's now seeing that this is not just about him. This is much bigger than him. This is what God is now growing throughout the world. And as excited as he is, though, when Epaphras comes and visits Paul, Paul is currently writing this letter in prison. We think in Rome. It could be Ephesus, but most likely Rome. But when Epaphras comes and visits Paul, Epaphras also says, Man, I got some concerns about this new church. And this is what prompts the letter in the first place. See, after, after Epaphras goes and spreads the seed of the gospel in Colossae, and they see some exciting things happen, they see that, that, that people are coming to love one another the way that Jesus does, he then has to leave to go continue to share the gospel in other communities. And he comes to Paul and he's like, uh, I'm just a bit concerned for this community because the environment, the cultural environment within which this church has started is not exactly conducive for growth. It's like he planted an orange tree in New England. You know, it, it doesn't exactly look like it's going to work, but the fact that this community is growing, the fact that they're displaying the love of God for one another, and Paul says, I see you, that you're bearing fruit, is evidence that God is alive and working within them, and they are, in fact, rooted in Jesus. But the question that Paul and Epaphras were wrestling with was, well, will this last? Will this last, or will they get distracted? Will they allow the, the cultural voices around them to ultimately distract them from the pure gospel that they had been given? And to give us a better understanding of what kind of voices were around them at this time, from, from one direction, we had what we'll call the Greek voices. You know, Greeks in that day and age, they loved chasing after the newest spiritual ideas. 
They love chasing the, the newest uh, uh, fads, philosophical fads or, or um, secret knowledge. And so if you said, hey, I follow Jesus, they're like, okay, that's good for you. That sound familiar? Good for you. But really, Jesus is just one of many spiritual teachers. So to summarize the Greek mindset, it was Jesus is not unique. So would this church, while they're following Jesus here, would they eventually start chasing after secret knowledge or other fads instead of remaining with the pure gospel they've been given? So that's one direction. The voices that come in from the other direction are what we'll call the, the, the non-Christian Jewish voices of the day. See, many of these early Christians in Colossae were, were Jewish. And so they would have grown up celebrating many of the traditions and the rituals like practicing Sabbath and the holy festivals. And when they came to follow Jesus, without a doubt, there would have been non-Christian family members and friends who would say, okay, it's great that you're doing the whole Jesus thing, but you better keep following the traditions and the religion and the rituals that we have for you. Because in order to be right with God, like, okay, believe in Jesus, but you need to follow these traditions too. So to summarize the Jewish mindset, Jesus is not enough. So would this church, on the other direction, be tempted to try to add on things onto Jesus in order to be made right with God? So do, do, you, do you get a sense here? From one direction, Jesus is not unique. From the other direction, Jesus is not enough. And you can see a bit why Paul was concerned for them. Because with, if these cultural ideas are flowing around this new church, if they absorbed them, it would pollute the pure water of the gospel and stunt their growth. Amidst all of these voices, would they remain pure? Would they continue to grow? And do we not wrestle with these same questions in our own culture? Of course we do. I've felt and I've heard some of you express the concern. I mean, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in our culture and our world, like, will the church remain strong? Will it continue to grow? Some of you have said, man, I, I feel like I'm growing, but I, I know there's so much more that God has for me. Or others of you, like, man, I haven't grown in a long time. I feel like I'm going through the motions, and I don't know why. Well, these are the sorts of questions that Paul is seeking to address in this letter to this young church. And the thing he keeps bringing us back to over and over again is what it means that Christ is in you. That's exactly why we're calling this series Colossians Christ is in you because this is where we come back to over and over and to kick off this letter how does Paul open it up and if this young church is to thrive grow flourish even in the environment within which they're planted they're going to experience the power of God among them then what do they need to understand let's open it up Colossians chapter 1 verse 1 if you have your Bible and you're looking for it Colossians is in the New Testament. It comes after Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm not kidding. I still say in my head every time I open, General Electric Power Company, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Super helpful. It comes right before 1 Thessalonians as well, the book of Colossians. 
It's a short one, but oh boy, (laughs) it's a powerful one. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll follow with me as I read it out loud, and then we'll pray together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We can just go home now, right? (laughs) Amazing. Well, let's let's pray and then we're going to jump in. Oh, Father, this is your word, and what a glorious celebration of you it is. And I pray that you will be gloriously celebrated in the words that I share right now, that you will be exalted, and that as you are exalted, God, that we would get a more clear picture of who we are in you, and that will flow out of us in further worship and joy. God, thank you for who you are making us to be. Thank you for the hope that we have in you alone. And we pray that that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive everything you have for us. If you you could repeat this after me, say, God, open my heart, open my mind, change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the things I love about this church is I've heard many times throughout this pandemic, many of you come up to me in a variety of different ways express, Kirk, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to just keep doing church. I want to see God do something. I want to see the power of God present in and among us. I want to see him heal people. I want to see him break out in ways that change people's lives. And I want it to. I want it to. But where does that even begin? In our own culture, we have in a variety of different ways the voices, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not unique. But according to this passage, no matter what's going on in the culture, Paul says you will still, God's will for you is still that you may thrive and flourish as his church, no matter where you're planted. Because you're not planted in the culture. But where do we even start? See, before we can grow into who we are to be, we must know who we are in Christ. Who we are is the question of identity. And identity, I believe, is at the root of most of the issues that, we're, that our society is dealing with. You know, if you want to think about it this way, you know, the top of the iceberg, you know, the, the conflicts and the struggles that we see 
over politics, race, sexuality, gender, so forth and so on. While those are the ones that we see, the larger issue, the iceberg often beneath the surface is this question, what is my identity? Who am I? I mean, we wonder why oftentimes when two people have differing perspectives in our society, you're not just offering a different point of view. You're now threatening who I am. And that gets it that this question of identity is people are hungry to know the answer to it. And see, our identity is what we believe is most important about us and sets us apart. You know, people across our society today may place their identity, may base who they are on what they do for a job, what they did in the past, or what they can do. They may base who they are on what gets people's attention or what causes people to to claim them as valuable. They may place their core identity in their relationship with their family, their culture of origin, their sexuality, or an affiliation to a particular group of people. And sometimes we have no clue what we base our identity on. But the moment that it's lost, questioned, or degraded, we know it because that's when we start questioning everything or we give everything to defend it. How many of you guys have seen the the old movie Amadeus about Mozart, Salieri? Ah, okay. I'll tell you then. So this movie is about, ultimately it's a fiction movie, but but it stars the composer Mozart and this rival composer, Antonio Salieri. And the opening scene of this movie, if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go watch it, is, is a powerful one. Because it, Salieri is in a psych hospital for trying to take his own life. This once great composer is in a psych hospital for trying to take his own life. And a priest walks into his room to try to minister to him. And Salieri probes the priest and says, do you know who I am? It's a question of identity. And the priest nervously responds, uh, all men are equal in God's sight. But you can see Salieri doesn't like that response, does he? Because he doesn't want to be equal. He wants to know what sets him apart. He wants to know what makes him special. And he spent his whole life using his musical gift to try to gain the admiration of people. And when this brash and mature Mozart came on the scene, all of a sudden life itself lost its meaning and purpose for him. In other words, his musical gifts, though amazing, were deadly as an identity. And that is where many people find themselves. If it's not in a gift, it's in something else. But the only an identity in Jesus Christ secures us in a love that stretches across eternity. And that Paul knows this. Which is exactly why he opens this letter in verse 2. And he says, after telling them who he is, he said, To the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. To the saints. Now, if you grew up Roman Catholic or another tradition, you you may feel like calling yourself a saint is completely undeserved, if not blasphemous. Anybody with me on that? Right. But it's here. We realize it's actually a biblical word. But I want us to understand the original word used for saint here does not refer to a venerated person who's better than all the other Christians. But it refers to any Christian. 
Because the basic meaning of saint here is someone who is chosen to be set apart as holy unto God. And I want to break that down for us. I want to break down, because there's three parts to what I just said. And first, we see in this word saint, we're talking about your identity in Christ right now. In this word saint, first, you were chosen by Christ. You were chosen. Do you realize you did not choose Jesus? You did not find God, that God found you. He reached out to you. Salieri wanted people to call his name, but do you realize the, the God of the universe called yours? And, and Paul is making this point. He says, you may have heard Epaphras share the gospel with you. He said, but do you realize Epaphras was just a beloved servant and faithful minister of Jesus on your behalf? He's the messenger, but it's the message from God that God initiated toward you, not you toward him. That he was thrilled to call your name. I want you to think about your own story. For those who are Christians in here, who follow in Christ, think about who is it that shared the gospel with you. Do you realize that that was actually God reaching out to you in his love? And if you're not a Christian in here, do you realize that you're in here, you being here is not an accident? That you listening online is not an accident? But that, that is God himself. It's not me. It's God himself saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. You've been chosen by God. Second, as a saint in Christ, you were chosen to be set apart. Paul, here at the end, is saying that once you and I, like the rest of the world, were under the domain of darkness. What does that mean? That means that we were once slaves to our own selfish desires and sin, unable to save ourselves. That we, like the rest of the world, were under the grip of evil because our record of debt and sin against God gave them every right to condemn us. And But when our sin stood between us and God, heaven's king took off his glorious robes. And he put on our sin, your sin, my sin, took it to the cross in order to pay the penalty of our sin. And in doing so, he entered death. And then he raided the domain of darkness in order to rescue and redeem all who were once bound and destined for it. And when we were destined to spend eternity separated from him, he set us apart, he says, and transferred us to his kingdom and qualified us to share in the eternal inheritance of of the saints in light. So even though we are in this dark world, and there's so many who are searching for their identity, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the risen Christ lives within you to set you apart, to be a light in the midst of this dark world for all those searching. And we're just getting started in Colossians, folks. <laughs> We've been chosen to be set apart. As holy. This word saints. In some translations you'll see instead of saints it says holy ones. Now I don't know about you. I can embrace the whole I've chosen set apart thing. But once you call me holy. Like okay. <laughs> um, maybe you haven't seen my life. <laughs> I start to feel uncomfortable with that. 
But what I want you to get is that when our, when our relationship with Christ becomes our identity, we are no longer defined or identified by who we were in the past or our mistakes in the present, but we're defined and identified by who God is making us to be in the future. We are so used to identifying ourselves by who we were or who we are. But there's no one like Jesus who can identify us by who he is making us to be. And while in this life we still struggle with sin and flesh, his promise is is that the good work that he began in us, he will carry it on to completion until the day that you and I are finally, once and for all, clothed in the white righteous robes of Christ before the throne of God. That is who you are. That is who you are. You were chosen to be set apart as holy in Christ. And unlike any other earthly identity, this one cannot be taken away from you. Because Paul says it is grounded in the grace of God in truth. He says that in verse 6 here. That what you and I have received from Jesus is the grace of God in truth. I don't think there's a better word to sum up the gospel than this word grace. Grace is the undeserved favor of God. That my identity is not in what I've done or what I have not done or what I have earned. But it is in what he has already done as a free gift of love for me and for you. It's grace. But we can also trust it, Paul says, because it's grounded in the truth of God. Do you realize that the truth of God is true whether or not you feel like it's true or not? I need to say that again. Do you realize that the truth of God is true whether you're having a good day or a bad day? Why? Because it's not grounded in you or me. It's grounded in the Almighty God. That our identity as saints in Christ is not anchored in any, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, the opinions of people or any temporal position, but it's anchored in the finished work of Jesus in history and in the promise of his glory that's going to come and return for us. That we serve a living, resurrected God, and that is where identity is grounded. Folks, I encourage you, I encourage you, find a way to remind yourself daily of who you are in Christ. Daily. Remember, this world says Jesus is not unique. Jesus is not enough. So it goes to figure that it would also consistently communicate that your identity in him is not enough. And your identity in him is not really what sets you apart. It's so funny. As even as I'm trying to write this sermon this week, I was struggling with it. And I was like, oh, Lord, I feel like I need to. And then I, I, need, I called Pastor David. And I said, buddy, like, I'm struggling with this. And he said, well, is Jesus enough for you? I needed somebody to preach that to me. <laughs> because it's so funny how 
even when we say Jesus is enough, how we still are tempted to live our lives feeling like i got to add something else to it in order to truly feel secure in who I am. But he's enough. The eternal almighty God is enough. And so what I'm going to do and what I encourage all of us to do is to, after this, to walk through this passage and as we go through Colossians as a whole in this Lent season, take a piece of paper and write down who it says you are in Christ. Write down, I'm a saint. I'm chosen to be set apart as holy. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. Write that down and put that in a place where you are forced to see it every day. And not just see it, please say it out loud over yourself. Because like I said, I can hear something here, but when I hear my own voice speak it out, there's something that happens. It begins to rewire the way that I think. Speak this over your life daily, on good days and on bad days. And what happens when we consistently remind ourselves of our eternal, immovable, grace-saturated identity in Jesus? How does that begin to change us? Well, when we know who we are in Christ, that's when we can walk into who we are in Christ. Now, what we saw in the beginning of this passage was Paul introduced himself, he he greeted them, and then he thanked God for them. But the second half of this passage is so powerful. It's, It's a prayer that he prays over this young church. And if you don't mind, instead of preaching it to you, can I pray it over you? And when I pray it over you, I'm going to add some other things to it just to try to fill it out and help us understand a bit more of what it is that Paul is praying. I'm not adding to it. I'm just trying to explain it a bit better. But I'm going to do it all in prayer form. So if you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to follow on the screen and read with me as I read it, you can. But I just want you to receive this prayer from Colossians over you. Lord, I pray That all those who are listening who are part of this now, that you may fill them with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, we know that if Jesus is the one who sets us apart, then he is the most important relationship in our lives. May we know what truly matters to him. May you give us the spiritual goggles of wisdom and understanding through which we might see what's really important and matters in this life versus what is just noise. And may we not just have knowledge for knowledge's sake, but may we know that we might walk in or live out a lifestyle that is worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. As we get to know your Father's heart, may we learn to love your way. As we get to know your compassion that set us free, may you show us how to liberate, heal, serve, and care for others. And as we stand in awe of your forgiveness, may we practice forgiving one another. As we walk with you, may the knowledge of you grow even more. And when the difficult seasons come, because they certainly do, and when our strength is spent and we feel we have nothing left, May you strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy as we give thanks to you, our Father. Lord, may you teach us that self-sufficiency is not a fruit of the Spirit. 
but we have the power of the resurrected Lord within us. And in our emptiest moments, may you fill us so full of your grace that it spills out of us in the form of joy and gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. After you take the words of who you are in this passage and speak those over yourselves daily, I then encourage you to pick up this prayer and pray it daily. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for your family. Pray it for this church. Pray it for the churches across this region. Because guess what? This is a prayer that God is guaranteed to answer. Let me say that again, because some of you are like, ah, this is a prayer that God is guaranteed to answer. If he chose you, how much more must he enjoy giving you his wisdom, his understanding, his life, his strength within you? And what's interesting to me is that when Paul is stuck in a jail cell in Rome and he's concerned for what's going on with his church in Colossae, his response was not to mope around in self-pity that, oh, I wish I could do more. I, I just feel so powerless. He's like, aha, I know the power of prayer and I know who my God is. And he joyfully lifts this prayer up to God because he knows that God's power is what ultimately will sustain them, not his own. Plus, if we're praying according to God's will, don't you believe that he answers that? 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us. Listen, if you're somebody who's like, man, I don't feel confident praying, or I don't think I know how to pray, Start here. Sometimes we're afraid we're going to pray wrong. You can't pray wrong when you pray scripture. Pick up 1 Corinthians 1, or I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And just see what God begins to do. I even dare you, before dinner, instead of saying, God bless this mess. I encourage you, pick up your Bible and pray this over your family instead. Even if your family doesn't know Jesus and they're looking at you with huge eyes after you're done, man, revival's going to break out in your family. You think I'm kidding. Right? Like God loves to answer prayer. He enjoys giving us his wisdom, his understanding, his life, his strength. But it all begins by us saying, is Jesus really enough? Is he really enough? Because for all we are, all worth living for and all we face. It all begins and ends with Jesus. What if we lived as if Jesus was really enough? What if instead of incessantly chasing an identity based on what people think about us or, or what we can earn or what we can accomplish, what if we finally rested and they said, you know what? I'm going to receive what Christ has already won for me by the grace of God and truth. What if we gave all that we are for the one who gave himself for us? Isn't he worthy of that? Isn't that exactly the life he's worthy of? What if we prayed 
As if we were praying to the one and only true resurrected king. What if our conversations with our friends and our family just kept naturally coming back around to Jesus? Because in our minds, there's just no one like him. What if we believed that the powers of this world cannot frustrate or contain the power of God? What if, really, for all that we are, for all worth living for, for all we face, if we really believe that it all began and end with Jesus? So as we begin this Lent season, I encourage you, daily, remind yourself who you are in Christ. Pray this prayer over one another, all the while giving thanks to our Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance as a saint in light. Stand with me, let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will move in such a way that we can only say is you. Lord, we, we operate so often based on our own human wisdom and understanding. But Lord, I want to see you break out in ways that can only be you. But that begins by, Lord, will you give us spiritual wisdom and understanding that we may discern what is fully pleasing to you, that we might walk in a manner worthy of you, and that we might bear fruit in all things so that the world may see who you are. And Lord, and when we feel weak, because this, this year has been plenty of opportunities where I've I personally have felt frustrated at the end of myself. Like I didn't have any creativity. I didn't have anything else to add. May that be the moment where we learn again that your strength and your grace is enough. And may we be the kind of people who don't just endure with a smug look on our face or a, a, a look of, of just torture. But may we learn to endure and persevere with patience with joy. Lord, gratitude can only come from grace. May you ground us in that. And Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the fruit that is already bearing itself within this church. I thank you for those here who are consistently seeking you. And for those who are drawn to you. And I pray, Father, that what you have begun here, that you will only multiply by your power among us. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, Amen.